According to our guest today, stress comes to us in tiny little assaults throughout our day, through relationships and interactions that are too numerous and high velocity to easily shake off. The problem is that most of us have come to accept micro-stresses as a part of our normal day, but they are wearing us down. In this episode, Karen Dillon joins us to discuss her Harvard Business Review article and research on micro-stressors. Welcome to The 90th Percentile, an unconventional leadership podcast by Zenger Folkman. Each week, using research from over 1.5 million global assessments of leaders, we analyze different leadership traits, trends, and what it really takes for leaders to get to the 90th percentile. I'm Brianna Corin, and joining me today is Karen Dillon and Jack Sanger. Karen Dillon is the former editor of the Harvard Business Review and co-author of the New York Times bestseller, How Will You Measure Your Life? She is a graduate of Cornell University and Northwestern University's Medill School of Journalism. In 2011, she was named by Ashaka as one of the world's most influential and inspiring women. And we're grateful to have her on the podcast today. Well, thank you for doing this. I read the article and I thought about it for a few days and then I read it again because I was just... I've been struggling myself with these micro stressors. And when I read it, I'm like, that's exactly my, my stress that I feel coming on that I didn't realize. And I'm right, like, I, right. I have to get her on the podcast to talk about this. Oh, happy to do it. Happy to do it. I struggle. Everybody struggles with it. I struggle with it too. We all struggle with it. But even knowing what you're up against, I think is part of the, part of the beginning to solve it is to recognize what's happening to you. What stood out to me as I read this article was all this stress, a lot of it stems from, like you said, your relationships and your interactions, and that we have this personal responsibility to deal with our own stress and not assign responsibility or blame to other people or the organization to solve it. So what drew you into this research on stress and writing this article for HBR with your colleagues, Rob Cross and Gene Singer? So Rob has been studying uh, collaboration for years. That's, that's the body of his research work, really. And, and in the course of doing a lot of a deep dive into collaborative practices and how people work effectively and don't work effectively, he started sort of stumbling upon people who would just talk about it, matter of fact, ways that they were overwhelmed, but they had no idea why. And as he started to kind of probe that a little bit, there was no, you know, no major life thing had happened to throw them off course. They would just say it was just life, just life, life's too hard. Mm -hmm. He started to probe it a little bit and he started to recognize that there was a different form of stress that was going on that people just didn't process. Their brain literally didn't register it. And when he and I were talking about it and, and Gene was a key part of his research, it just, to me, it, it spoke to me. It just felt like I understand that you've named something that I've been feeling, but uh, I would not have been able to articulate. And we call it micro stress. So these tiny little stresses that come as a result of the way we work with each other and communicate with each other and the people in our lives. And they happen in moments in really nanoseconds sometimes, but they, they linger for hours or days or months. They just build upon each other. So to me, the, the, the appeal was that he saw something that I was feeling. Karen, do you see any difference between small organizations and larger organizations on this question of the prevalence of these micro stressors? 
I know for sure it happens in large organizations because the sort of exponential possibility of people who need something from you, who CC you on something, who include you in something, who forget to communicate with you on something, that it just exponentially more people who could be part of that for you. But the phenomenon can happen in a small company and it can happen in your personal life with your family. So the fact that people you care about for personal or professional reasons cause you these micro stresses and, and we cause them for others. Um, is universal. It just, can it be, is it more likely to happen in a large organization? Probably, um, but not exclusively. So small organizations can do the exact same thing. What is the impact of the most senior level executives of a firm on the overall level of stress? So are there certain people that are causing more of these micro stressors than others in the organization? Possibly. That's an interesting question. I'm not sure we've done the research segmented that way. Rob may have, but I don't know off the top of my head, but I can tell you, I think it's highly likely because one of the, one of, one of the primary forms of micro stress is miscommunication or, or, or the wrong assumptions or changing direction, you know, quickly, you know, you, you think you're scrambling to fill what you thought that hallway conversation told you you were supposed to be doing from a senior person because he or she said it, you're going to go do it. And then two or three or five days later, and you've scrambled around and you've called upon favors from other people to get whatever done. It was kind of, oh, that was really just a passing thought. And when it comes from that senior level, people don't tend to question it or go back and double check it. They just do it. I've been told and I'm a good soldier. So I think it's pretty likely that senior people without knowing it, no one does this intentionally, are causing waves of micro stress for, for a, a number of people because it will never even affect just one person. One person will then affect other people and then call upon others. And the knock-on effect of focusing on something instead of the thing you were doing, that, that, that is a really just a giant stone in a pond that just ripples out for a long way. So yes, I think that is a good observation that's quite likely to be the case. So on the opposite side of that, is there anything that they do that effectively dampens the level of stress then sends waves in the positive direction <laughs> i mean it, it, it's possible you could you can model your behavior you know for just think of the things we do mindlessly right we cc everybody on email chains right or we mm -hmm. send a 11 o'clock at night thought getting it off of our minds so that we can fall asleep as a senior person so the people who are intentional about our practices, our practices are going to be that we don't email each other after a certain time, or our practices are going to be that we never leave a meeting without going back and finishing up. What did we agree to do? Who's doing what? What are the next steps? They're, they're sort of small little gestures of clear communication and clear expectation setting that can save agony for everybody else because they think they're doing the right thing, but they're unsure and they cover themselves and they panic. And then the toll that it's again, it's the toll that not just that causes you, but your family, right? You're, you're, you're stressed out about some deadline that's looming on something that you talked about in the hallway, or you got an email at 11 o'clock at night, your family will suffer too. The ripple effects of that are huge. So people who are clear, people who come back circle around to make sure we're aligned on expectations in a really routine and clear way people who even even senior people who say to their direct reports when i'm thinking loud with you in the hallway that's all i'm doing i'm thinking loud i want you to feel free to push back so being aware of what you might be causing people in your senior position um, and and setting clear expectations can go a really long way as you were doing your research how did you go about creating these three buckets that you kind of put micro stressors into you created three categories what was your what was your process of getting there 
So there were there were 300 interviews of people, 10 men, 10 women um, from a number of organizations that had been identified by their top HR people as high achievers. So we were talking to people who we believed to be good at, at juggling it all, balancing it all. Uh, and they were they were qualitative interviews where we would just talk to them about getting through life and how they manage stress. And it just became clear patterns emerged over and over in all of those interviews. And then we did all the tagging and coding and sort of put them into the buckets. It seemed like they fell into these three categories that was were almost universal. And what was interesting was that the ones that are obvious, um, the ones that challenge your capacity to get things done, everybody sort of recognized right away. But when we got into the things that were a little more hidden, the things that uh, challenged your emotional state, your emotional resilience, or challenged your sense of identity, those were not quite so obvious to people. And when we sort of started to, again, put words to them and name them, they recognized the stress that those things brought. So it was almost like a slow wave of recognizing the impact of microstresses in different forms that began to really cohere and became a, a more consistent pattern among really all 300 people that we interviewed. That's fascinating. And just to kind of reiterate those three buckets, the first you said was microstressors that drain your personal capacity. And in the article, you talked about the unspoken tensions that are in the ways that we routinely work that like people aren't dealing with and it's compounding. And the second one you said was microstressors that deplete your emotional reserves. Those are more hidden. It's a different, deeper layer people don't recognize. And the third was microstressors that challenge your identity and values. How do you get to that deep layer of the identity and values? Some of those conversations are really hard conversations to have. I, those are kind of the diversity conversations. Is that so? It, it is so it is it, it is it is tricky and that's part of why it is a real a prevalent micro stress because you we all recognize that we work in we, we work for organizations and we can't completely set all the rules and it can't be our perfect job exactly as we want it but the things that start to eat away at you slowly you know you go i'll, I'll give an example that's not even as clear-cut as diversity or whatever you believe in uh, sort of on a personal personal social societal level. Uh, if you work for a high pressure sales organization, and that's not who you are, you know, you, you can maybe make your numbers, but it's so uncomfortable to you. And you don't like that your manager, you know, calls Fridays dialing for dollars where you're supposed to be calling back yeah. clients and figuring out how to squeeze a little bit more out of them. There's nothing wrong with what that manager wants to do, but it just may be so uncomfortable to who you are, your sense of self. And that's, that is going to constantly be stressing you. Even if you're doing okay in that environment, you bring it home, you need to de-stress, you don't like your job, all these things that are just uncomfortable. And those, those can really be acid. You know, they sort of bore holes in you over time. Nothing unethical about it. It's just a practice. It's just what a high sales or functioning sales organization might do, but it doesn't fit for you. That's a challenge to your identity and your values. And that, that can take a really significant toll over time. So Karen, what are you finding in terms of ways to help people recognize these micro stressors in their lives and, and find ways to deal with them? How do you, how do you increase this awareness and this self-sensitivity to what eating at you. Right. That's a good question. Well, we actually sort of have a diagnostic that we like people to walk through on the top three. We know you can't fix all these things, that there are going to be a lot of micro stresses in your life. But we do know that making a dent in even two or three of them, just trying to pushing back in different ways, which I'll talk about in a second, can have a material effect on you. 
But an equally important piece of the puzzle to recognizing what microstresses are doing are recognizing which ones you're causing others. So I think if you take, mm -hmm. if you sort of take a little bit of time to just map out the things that stressed you this week and try to take a minute to figure out why, why did that thing stress you? And, and the key is not that the actual ask or the stress in the moment, it's, it's all of the effects that that caused around it. So that's why microstresses are so challenging. It's not just, I had a tough you know, two hours to finish that report. It's what happened as a consequence of having a tough two hours to finish that report. You had to call in favors to colleagues. You didn't make it home in time for dinner. You couldn't think about the things you were supposed to think about for the next day. It's, it's just that it's so exponential. So, so maybe identifying for yourself the things that have really thrown you off track, no matter how small they are, and then taking a minute to map why? Why did that throw me off track? What were the knock-on effects of it? Do a flow chart. You can start to recognize some of the ways that you're really getting stuck you know, because of the micro stresses. But I also think if we're all, it's not as hard to do as you think, or if we're all candid and honest with ourselves, think of the micro stresses we're probably causing other people, not communicating clearly, not actually um, have, changing your expectations of people constantly. Um, CC, you know, the, C, the endless CC chain, think about that, right? Have you ever been on a CC chain where little, every, no one wants to be the last, you, you feel all feel obligated to say, thanks, sounds good with you, keep me posted. And then you literally lose the thread of, wait, what are we supposed to be doing? And then that causes a whole nother thing. Did you keep that, in, where are we supposed to? It's just, again, it sounds silly, but the micro stress of that is really significant. And we all, here's the point, we all have dozens of those in a day, a week, a month, you know, it just, they just layer up. So can we deal with individual ones? Sure. Can we deal with individual ones constantly on top of layers and layers of other ones? That's when you start to get into the problem. So being self-aware. And I think in, within your organization, just having the courage to like do some of the best practices, the small things. When you stop me in the hallway and say, can we, what if we explored this? Is that, are you asking me to do it? Are you asking me to give you feedback? You know, just having those conversations, which clarify what's being asked of you, what you're asking others to do can just save so much heartache down the line. So there are some small things you can do, even just leading a team, doing the, the whiteboard exercise. As we come into the room, we're going to spend five minutes outlining what we're going to accomplish today. We're going to have the meeting and then we're going to save the final five minutes to read. What do we agree on? Who's doing what? What are the next steps? But not assuming anything, speaking up when you need to speak up and just taking the time to sort of be clear with each other, I think goes a really long way. I'm intrigued by your recommendation about cutting out the, the thank yous and the, the endless chain of back and forth. I, I'm wondering, so would you recommend that organizations just say, hey, look, as a policy, when you sent something to somebody, you don't need to kind of email back, thank you, or copy all the people on, on the original email. Would you recommend that organizations do that? Yes, there... set expectations so everyone knows. Because what happens is if someone doesn't respond, you imagine, why are they not responding? Or you think the worst. Did they get it? Oh, did I say it badly? Did I do a full pot? Who hasn't gone back and looked at an email, the wording you've sent of an email? Like, did I screw that up in some way? So I think if you just set it as policy, do not respond. We will assume you read all your emails. We expect you to read all your emails. Don't respond unless you're specifically asked a question or there's something you need to know. Just set it as a policy, whatever it is. There was a guy that we interviewed for the research who was a high potential at an organization and he had just totally 
burnt out. And suddenly this high potential who had been one of the top achievers was really just not doing well. Um, he just was falling down on, on, on projects and not keeping up with his work. And it was so out of character with them. They, they literally asked him to go take a break. Like I think he went on a yoga retreat and said, we want you off the grid. We do not want you doing any email. You're just signed off and your team's going to be in charge for two weeks. Whatever happens, happens. And when he came back, they asked him to not start from the bottom, from the oldest emails and working his way up, start from the top. And the difference was he realized when he started from the top, a lot of things solved themselves. He didn't have to weigh in on everything. People who were in the position to make decisions made decisions. And so it just was a sort of wide open, sobering reminder to him that being micro involved at every single step of communication was not necessary. You know, he had a team, he could put himself up a level and weigh in when it mattered. But I think all of this, you can't do without having spoken. This is our new policy. This is what we're doing. And here are the exceptions or telling you when you're drafting an email that you want people to respond, please respond. I want to make sure you've read this. That's, that's okay. You just have to be clear. So do you work from the top or the bottom of your email list? <laughs> I actually, I think I work from the top now that you say that. I think I do. So one of the approaches you talked about in the article um, was to invest in relationships and activities that keep the less consequential micro stressors in perspective. And I wanted to share a quote because it's one that I thought about a lot. You said the key to writing above the sea of microstressors are relationships that generate a sense of purpose and meaning in our life, not just in the nature of our employment, but in the connections that sustain and define us beyond our work. And what stuck with me about that statement is I think sometimes we look at, at our relationships as a source of stress and not realizing that a lot of times it's the opposite where our relationships can relieve our stress. So can you talk about what you found in your research that made you kind of point to this thing as, as that relationships are worth an investment to help your stress? To me, I mean, it shouldn't have been revelatory, but it was revelatory because we were working on this research during the pandemic and it became just really clear. Rob Cross and I are have gone on to write a book about this, it became clear to us both personally that the relationships in our life that were not directly focused on work were really important to us feeling whole and our overall well-being and being able to put tough things in perspective. So it's not, it's not just like a nice to have. We're not saying you need work-life balance. We're saying this is essential to your well-being, having people and relationships in your life and this doesn't mean you have to have, you know, 10 ride or die friends. It could be that you have a nice, warm, cordial relationship with um, your neighbors and you, you know, you, you stand in the driveway and you talk every Saturday when someone's raking the lawn or whatever, just to like catch up on how they're doing, what's going on in their life. It puts your life in perspective. It puts your struggles in perspective. It can give you a sense of purpose in ways that you didn't even expect. You could find that you become a very informal mentor to a, the, you know, the young kid next door who's talking about his college applications or or that you, one thing I did during the pandemic that was critical was two of my college friends and I who lived within an hour of each other, we had not seen as much of each other in the, in the months before the pandemic. We just found a way to meet up outdoors and walk. And we would just three different lives, three different perspectives, three different sets of challenges, personal and professional, and just being together for the two hours of a you know, hike in the woods was just so centering. It was put, you know, they knew me when I don't have to feel like I have to put on a face of 
about anything. They've, they've been through challenges themselves. It just brings you to a, a much more centered place where you can, you can deal with the things in your life because you recognize there's more out there. It's, just, it's really critical. And I think as people get busy, almost every decade, you get busier in your life, that stuff drops off. You know, you start focusing on, as you should, family and, and work. But when you let go of those things, you're really letting go of something that, that I think is really just truly essential to your well-being. And it, it's not just a nice to have, it's a need to have. I absolutely felt that. That's what spoke to me. I was like, I got to talk to people. I got to make my flow chart. <laughs> the key is that it doesn't have to be, it's not suddenly you have to find, you know, a weekend, a month to spend with your college friends. It can be in really small ways. It could be literally, you probably have this too. You're having a tough day and someone sends you a funny text or a meme that's not in your workplace. It's just, you smile, you're taken out of that moment for a second. Um, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to change your life dramatically. You just have to find small ways to let the, to let relationships play that positive role in your life. And it will make a really big difference. Are you finding your success in, in getting this message out to be more at the individual level? Or are you finding success in kind of helping organizations to see what they collectively do to create micro stressors in people's lives? It's both, actually. It is both. I think at the individual level, it resonates so much. And again, for me personally, too, I, you know, to me, it was the reason I wanted to work on this was because I, it just, again, named something I'd been feeling. But I think organizations recognize that this is critical to keeping employees long-term. You know, they, they have to find the ways that they are, that they can avoid burnout. There's so many things that organizations are unintentionally doing that are, that are triggering burnout. And the fact of the matter is, I think 85% of most work people do now is collaborative. We do it with other people. So, so the bulk of most of our work involves working with other people. And that's the beginning of a micro-stress cocktail right away. That if things go wrong, you're working with other people, the effects are really significant. So I think organizations are really interested in what can they do to recognize and reduce through protocol, through practices, through the way, even just the way that they form teams or put expectations on people. And again, we're realistic. They're not, they're not going away. But if we can take two or three out of your life, that's going to take your stress level down and your sort of happiness level up. It's really significant. Since starting this research, um, have you been able to incorporate these into your own life to see a, a difference? I have even honestly, so Rob Cross and I on the book, we didn't meet in person through the whole pandemic because we were working virtually. And both of us are kind of fast pace type a get stuff done you know decision person and he is as well and we started to like start wait let's practice our own what we're preaching here and literally we would start our meetings we would we would take two three four minutes even though time is precious to just connect with each other as human beings that, that's one of the ways you can reduce the micro stress with the person is just like see the person as something other than an ask of you or someone you're asking to do and then we would do the recap at the end and sometimes the recap would remind us oh wait we had different conversations let's fix it so i've done that for sure i've just recognized that the variety of people in my life again small small personal relationships and small professional relationships and big ones um, it's just so important to tend to them. You get so much back, you personally, just from being connected to people who help keep the world in perspective for you. It's just, it's yes. So the answer is yes. Well, thank you for giving us your time and connecting with us to tell us all this wonderful research. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to talk about it and hope it can provide people with a few ideas for getting their micro stress under control as well. This episode of the 90th Percentile, an unconventional leadership podcast, was recorded by Brianna Corin, Karen Dillon, and Jack Zanger, and produced by Zanger Folkman. If you're interested in learning more about Zanger Folkman's award-winning 360-degree assessments, leadership, and coaching offerings, 
or would like to attend our monthly leadership webinar series hosted by Jack and Joe, visit our website at sangerfolkman.com. If you liked our podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, and leave us a nice review. All resources and links to the research referenced in this episode can be found in the episode details or on our podcast page on sangerfolkman.com.